Hey guys, and welcome to the new episode of Automated Seller Podcast. Today, I have a new guest, Emma Shermer-Tamir. Hi, Emma. How are you? Hello. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. So Emma is uh, actually owner of a copyright firm. Like I know, Emma, that you're doing also SEO and you're helping uh, brands with their uh, strategies, uh, especially when it comes to selling uh, on e-commerce platforms such as Amazon. And uh, yeah, Emma, I would like to first maybe start um, with your past, like with your history before you actually uh, created your own uh, company, Marketing by Marketing by Emma. Like, uh, did you actually have some experience uh, with the Amazon or in the Amazon or like e-commerce e overall? Yeah, so I sort of came in from a different direction. I had a more traditional marketing, content marketing, copywriting background uh, in a lot of different industries. So I worked in everything from fine dining to SaaS. And most recently, before starting this uh, agency with my business partner and husband, Ares, I was doing marketing and sales for a health and wellness product. And so that was where I began to get more familiar with the world of e-commerce and Amazon more specifically. Uh, at, at the time, I didn't even know that there were third-party sellers. I was sort of you know, just someone that w went to go buy my things on Amazon and assumed that Amazon probably sold them. Uh, but pretty, you know, in those days, Amazon was also way less sophisticated than what it is what, today. What, what year are we talking about? So we're talking around uh, end of 2016, early 2017. So mm -hmm. EBC or enhanced brand content, what, what A plus content now is, was pretty, uh, rare. You really didn't see many people doing it. It took a really long time to even be able to get the brand registry approved to gain access to that. And then the modules that were available were very clunky. Uh, the keyword research tools were far less sophisticated. Very few people were engaging in brand building. It was really the time where you had the lists of here are the top 100 best products that you can sell on Amazon. So it was sort of that era yeah. where if you had good timing and got into a space with the right keyword volume, you could do really well, but then you ended up building out a cap a catalog of products that were totally unrelated. So you had your garlic press and your baby backpack and your, you know, this, that, and the other. And so Amazon and what it takes to be successful on Amazon has really matured pretty significantly since then. So those were like much easier also times really, or, or yeah. what do you think? I mean, definitely there were not so many resources <laughs> out there to start selling. So the competition was lower because people were just maybe scared to start selling there, right? But on the other hand, it was just easy to be visible there. I mean, as you yeah, said. Yeah, it was easy to be visible. There were way less rules. So this was before that big pesticide sort of um, lawsuit. And then the response to that came about. So you didn't have to be as cautious with all of the language that you were using. Uh, your keyword strategy did not have to be nearly as sophisticated. And you really couldn't be because you didn't even have the data to be able to get super granular in the way that you're able to today. Uh, and, and yeah, there just wasn't as much competition. So if, and then of course we go into reviews weren't as uh, tightly sort of, 
you know, overseen. So it was easier to manipulate those. And there were, there was more space to play outside of the rules and not having to worry about what the ramifications of that would be. And so I think all of that together uh, really kind of made things much simpler. And so it's really interesting actually now to engage with brands who were in the early days and they, they have a hard time adjusting to what Amazon has really developed into because they didn't really learn some of those brand building skills and some of, and they didn't learn to value some of the things like really developing out, uh, you know, a customer base or building out a community or some of the Mm -hmm. off Amazon things that a lot of successful brands are doing today because they just didn't have to. Yeah. I can I can imagine. I mean, change is always hard, right? Uh, yeah. Changing habits, uh, adjusting to the new changes that Amazon introduced. I mean, I can imagine, especially that some of the brands probably reached, let's say, success back in the days, and then maybe they thought that yeah, I mean, they were doing everything fine, so it's not their fault, right? But yeah, as you mentioned, it's all about changes and adjusting to those changes. But let's talk about this career switch, because I'm very curious, actually, uh, was it always like this for you that at some point in your life, you were thinking that you want to be entrepreneur, you want to start building actually your own business or how exactly this switch happened that you started? I don't know if you first started like freelancing or was it already a big plan that yet? I'll just start this uh, company, marketing, marketing by Emma. Like I, I'm, I'm always curious when I interview entrepreneurs, um, when, when was and how actually happened like the switch? Yeah, so I'm not the born entrepreneur. I wasn't the one that was selling things to my you know, classmates when I was 10 years <laughs> old. I'm not that person at all. Uh, I, I, I didn't think that it was outside of the realm of possibility that I would one day have my own business, but it wasn't something that I aspired to or that I was really working towards. Uh, we kind of fell into this. So I did start off um, when I transitioned out of the working for this health and wellness product. I started freelancing mm-hmm. and helping out some different Amazon sellers and very quickly The interesting thing about the Amazon space is it's a very tight-knit community. And so whether you do a great job or a bad job, word spreads quickly. Mm -hmm. And people were really happy with the results that they were getting. And so they were talking about it in Facebook groups and talking about it in their masterminds. And all of a sudden, we just had a rush of people coming to us. And it was sort of a turning point of, do we stay small and I just take on the projects that I can manage and and I just have a a small portfolio of clients or do we really try to grow this into a business and figure out how to document systems and hire people and do all of these things that I really had no experience with at all. I had very little management experience. Mm -hmm. I didn't know really anything about what it took to start or, or grow a business. And so it was really figuring all of it out on my own. Uh, with the help of my business partner, um, Ares. And I really have to give a lot of credit to him because uh, he was the one that always had that confidence that we would be able to do it. And I didn't starting off. I was like, who would want to work with us? Like business uh, and entrepreneurship has been an incredible tool for me for really being able to develop that confidence. And I, and so with him sort of having that clarity and certainty, that's what gave the push to say, okay, let's, 
let's do this. Let's see what we can create. And yeah, I think it's it's very important, uh, especially when you have like a business partner that uh, he or she is very supportive. So even though you might have a doubt, you always get this extra push that actually leads you to be in the position that you are currently. So that's actually, actually great. So when it comes to saying that you start small, had a smaller clients, maybe less clients, what kind of timeline are we talking about since you started and where are you right now? So how big is your team? How many clients are you working with at the moment? Um, if you could share that. Yeah, so we we have a small team. We're seven people. So we've kind of intentionally decided to stay really focused and also small. I never wanted to grow a giant uh, business and have to deal with all of the different challenges that came along with that. I really like being able to have those uh, meaningful relationships with my team and and have that oversight over everything. I think I'm also somewhat of a perfectionist uh, for better and for worse. And so the thought of the all of the all of the uh, chaos that would come along with a very large organization just felt uh, too stressful for me. So we work on a project basis. So rather than have taking on contracts and working with people over, you know, months and years, we sort of work on a come as you need it basis. So at any given time, the exact amount of clients might fluctuate depending on if somebody is revamping mm-hmm. their whole catalog or somebody's getting ready yeah. to launch a new pro- product. It, it really varies. So it's not a super helpful uh, number, but we managed to stay busy. This is our also our busy time of year. Yep. You know, this is really be- becoming crunch time, honestly, for mm-hmm. getting prepared for Q4 and making sure that everything's in place. Uh, because really, now is the time to figure out all of those adjustments that you need to make to make sure that you have your creative assets in place, so that you're positioned well to then really be able to turn up the dial when it comes to holiday buying. And I think, you know, every year it starts getting earlier and earlier. We're seeing that Amazon is kind of aligning with that by the second prime day that's supposed to be happening. uh, And I think around, you know, a little over a month. So Mm -hmm. we, there's, there's a Q4 is waiting just around the doorstep and (laughs) want to make sure that we're getting everybody geared up so that they can have a really strong holiday season. That's that's very interesting that you mentioned the seasonality in in, in your business as well when it comes to actually SEO um, and copywriting for for listings. I, I believe this also is aligned with the brand strategy, right? So you also do the push right now. So what do you think? Like the seasonality uh, when it comes to Amazon is the, like when the most people buy. Is it like Q four because of the Prime days? and the christmas period or would you say that it really depends also on the product category it totally depends on the product category and i think it also depends on what's going on sort of broader in with the economy and with society like i've recently seen uh some articles talking about the shift in what are the biggest spending categories so it's kind of shifting more uh, on Amazon, on places like Walmart to more of the necessity-based uh, items rather than sort of the nice to have but not need to have. And so whether that's a trend that will 
kind of continue moving forward or whether that's just kind of the nature of what's happening right here. I'm I'm not a futurist. I don't feel comfortable making those those kinds of calculations, but I would say it very much depends on um on a variety of different things. So there are some businesses that really aren't impacted by Q4 much at all. Uh, and there are others where that's where they make all of their money. And so mm -hmm. it's just important to understand where you fit into that. And if that is your really big time, then, you know, using all of the time leading up to Q4 to make sure that you're ready for go time. Mm -hmm. And then if not, to also recognize that you might be seeing all these people reporting these crazy sales and, and that that's not necessarily something that you need to be feeling bad about because that's just mm -hmm. not the nature of your business. Yeah. A mistake that, a mistake that I do see people making is taking those non giftable types of products and trying to frame them as that. And I think that looks <laughs> very clunky and really isn't going could to you do. Give, could you give some example actually? Yeah. I mean, I guess like right off the bat, I don't know why, maybe just because I'm sitting at my desk. I don't even have one in my household at all. But like if you sell a stapler, if you sell something that's just a basic item or, you know, a, a supplement that's um, not like a fancy supplement, just like vitamin C tablets mm -hmm. or something like that. There might be seasonality to vitamin C tablets because they align with flu and cold season. Yeah. But that's going to be different than saying this is a great stocking stuffer that you want to give <laughs> your best friend. So oh, yeah. just kind of understanding that nuance and thinking about uh, really what makes sense for your category and your customers and how you can connect with them throughout the different times of year. Totally. I think it does a great insights, definitely. And I really wonder, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, yeah, most of the brands, they don't really uh, understand that uh, and they just try to push uh, on every possible occasion, as you just mentioned. So, right. Yeah. And it's, it makes sense. I, I was actually thinking about this. I was at the store the other day and I saw a, a bag of popcorn and it was holiday. It was Halloween popcorn. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, I think Halloween popcorn. Okay. That's cool. Is it going to be orange and black colored? Is it going to be the candy corn flavored? Like what is actually making this a Halloween popcorn? <laughs> And they were so lazy. It was nothing except the bag. The bag said <laughs> Halloween and had some Halloween decorations, oh, yeah. but there was no effort to make it align with the theme of Halloween. And so to me, that's almost like a good example of what can happen when people are thinking about giftability is they say, oh, if I just call this a gift, if I just create an image and put a, a bow on it, then people will want to buy it. And that's not really fully kind of um, working through and strategizing around that idea and either going all in on it or deciding that that's not the right fit. But just sort of doing that a uh, cash grab, lazy mm -hmm. effort is a real missed opportunity for all sides. Because I would have bought that popcorn if it was a uh, like special fun flavor one. or like fun color, but I don't yeah. need plain salt. I've seen this popcorn. example. I've seen this example multiple times. I mean, with alcohols, with chocolates, it's just basically, yeah, it's all about changing the package, right? But everything inside is exactly the same. So <laughs> that's, right. that's, and we have yeah, so yeah. much option. We have so oh, many yeah. options as consumers and people 
are always looking for what's that new thing? What's that exciting thing? What is the reason to buy this now today mm -hmm. versus any oh, yeah. other day? And, and so it, you need to give people a reason to want to choose you. And it doesn't have to just be, this is the latest, greatest, newest thing you've never heard of. Yeah. But that is one approach that brands can take if they're wanting to go down that path. I agree. And then if, if you actually do it properly and if you create this kind of seasonality for your items and you make them unique, you can drive crazy sales. Because on the other hand, if you just do it, as you mentioned, right? So if someone just changed the package, then there is nothing really special about this product. So there's no really additional value for a customer to buy it. And I want to give a very interesting example here. It's not really e-commerce, but it's overall like a, let's say, brand strategy for McDonald's. Like, uh, I don't know about US, but like in, in Europe, uh, McDonald's menu is like totally different on depending on a country. And then the different items depends on the season. So the menu rotates. Of course, they have their main dishes like cheeseburger, Big Mac and so on. But then um, for special seasons, there are different items. And then every year, in a, in a winter period in Poland, there's a special, um, I think it's called the, the English name, it's like a Lumberjack burger or something like this. It's like very special burger, very limited, only for like two months or something. And it drives crazy sales. Like suddenly everyone just goes to McDonald's to get this burger. So if you actually make the item special and like very seasonal, it, it, it can bring you great results. And I can think about it also for the items and for brands, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's like another example of that would be Starbucks pumpkin spice latte. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's, and pump Starbucks is really one of the companies that led the way for this obsession of all things pumpkin this time of year. But now it's so much more than that. So I was at the store the other day and there were pumpkin spice Oreos and pump you know pumpkin spice this that and the other but you can only buy it at that time of year so even going back to something like a vitamin c tablet or a vitamin c packet if you wanted to try to find a way to bring in a little bit more of that seasonality excitement maybe it's making an apple cider flavored yeah. uh or you know a christmas spice or some different things that make the give people a reason to want to buy it now, even if you are not what would be traditionally considered mm -hmm. a, a gift or a holiday type of product. Yes. So it seems like you're very like, uh, your approach for, for brands is like very strategic, right? So I know that your main, um, your main service copywriting is SEO, but you're also helping brands with their strategies. So if you could tell a little bit more about those services, is it something that you also do like, just something you just mentioned, right? About the strategic approach for seasonality. For yeah, example. so we de we can definitely do uh, consulting. That's just on a one on one in what kind of engagement you would like to work with me specifically. Those are clients that I take on individually rather than uh, having my team manage those. But really, it's crucial. And this is even if we're not having a one-on-one -on -one strategy call, we bring this type of strategic thinking to how we're going to position a product page. And so it just depends on sort of how broad you want to go and what kind of insights you're looking for. But it's important that whether it's thinking more broadly about your brand or more 
I'm tongue tied this morning or more specifically about your product and how to position that on Amazon. You always want to be thinking more about the, the specifics of just on Amazon and just mm -hmm. on your product. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make is they're too narrowed in on their product and the data they have, and they're, mm -hmm. they're operating in a vacuum. So, so they mean look at- they are not um, like analyzing the competitors and what they are doing? Or um, I what would do you say mean? they're not doing a good job of that, but they're also staying far too focused on Amazon only. And if mm -hmm. you're only looking at Amazon, so one of the things that I see, it's interesting because on the one hand, Amazon is a place where a lot of brands will test new launches before they go broader because they can get immediate feedback about whether this is something that's working or if they need to modify it and whatnot. But at the same time, so often the brand strategy piece is something that lags behind on Amazon. So if you really want to see what's happening in your space, it's so important to look beyond your competitors that are just on Amazon and see what's happening on social, see what's happening uh, with different D2C brands and their own Shopify pages, mm -hmm. because that's where they're, first of all, you just have a lot more space for creative freedom, but that's also where a lot of the really scrappy, hungry, innovative brands are doing the cool things. And so mm -hmm. if you're able to kind of take inspiration from those and then bring it back to Amazon, it's actually mm -hmm. a fantastic way to be able to stay ahead of the curve and to think about how you can continue to innovate. Because like we were talking about, at the beginning of this conversation, even if you're doing really well now, you can't just sort of assume that you're always going to be the top dog. There are going to be changes that Amazon makes. There are going to be new competitors that are entering the scene. There are going to be things that are happening in your space. And so if you want to make sure that you are continuing to stay ahead and stay on top, you have to be really having a strong finger on the pulse of what's happening and figuring out how you can continue to push the envelope to make sure that you are, are maintaining that position. Totally. I really like the fact that you mentioned other platforms like a Shopify store. And actually yesterday I had a really nice uh, conversation. I, this is also like, it was like a podcast as well uh, with Eric from Elite Commerce Group. And we actually were discussing being on different platforms. And he mentioned that, for example, brands are not following the new trends. And he mentioned about the new marketplace, which will be launched on TikTok. So this is something that you all also should follow, like the new trends, places where you can be. I mean, of course, there are sellers who only stick to Amazon. With their brands, they are doing fantastic. But in my opinion, I don't know. It's more like once you grow to the certain point, it's just worth being somewhere else, especially on other marketplaces, because translating the listings and putting them to other marketplaces, this is like really no brainer. It doesn't take endless time, right? Especially when it comes to Walmart right now, if you're in the US and you're doing well on Amazon, I mean, why shouldn't you try Walmart at least? I, I always give um, a nice um, example of my friend from Poland. He's actually sell selling on Amazon uh, to European marketplaces like in Germany. He's selling on, uh, I think, Austria, UK. I mean, he's also selling on Poland. And then recently, um, there's a big company called Kaufland. They have uh, big stores uh, all across uh, Europe, uh, especially in Germany and Poland. They launched Marketplace out, out of nowhere. I didn't even knew. 
he got there very early on. He just launched the products there. Like he di really didn't put a lot of effort and suddenly he, he made almost seven figure there with sales, right? So it's always worth um, investigating other platforms and trends in my opinion. Yeah, there's... It, I think one of the important points of that story is, is that he had the early movers advantage. So whenever there's a new platform, the faster you can get there, the better. So if it isn't yet fully developed, it doesn't mean that you should ignore it. It means that you actually have a fantastic opportunity, sort of equivalent to the earlier days of Amazon, where you can really get in there, build up that momentum, and then be positioned in the event that that marketplace takes off. And even if you're not ready to go there, still spending time in those spaces and seeing what people are doing and seeing how your competitors are interacting. For example, TikTok is completely changing how people buy products. People love having somebody show them something cool and different that they didn't know existed. And so even on Amazon now, we're seeing a TikTok-like feed where uh, content creators are getting paid to create content uh, that is like a TikTok video, and it is just specific to any whatever product they they want to talk about. I have a friend who has just recently got it, gotten on that and is making money selling, you know, random people's products. And she's like, oh, this is kind of cool. This would make a fun video. <laughs> and and so understanding that, and obviously you can't turn your Amazon listing into a TikTok video, oh, but yeah. how can you maybe take some of the concepts from the way that TikTok is influencing people's buying decisions and apply those to your Amazon listing and thinking about the way that customers are engaging with brands and how brands are engaging with customers and that whole relationship is is a one that is constantly evolving and so it's you're really limiting yourself if you're kind of just looking at a, a very narrow space like only confining your competitor research mm -hmm. to amazon you're just you're really going to miss out on the the full potential of your mm -hmm. brand Totally. So speaking about different platforms, uh, what is your approach when it comes to creating content for your clients? Um, we can talk about Amazon, Walmart, we can talk about like custom Shopify stores, because I know that, as you mentioned, right, like creating a listing there and the content uh, copywriting, it, it's totally different. So how Abs do you do it? Absolutely. So there are, a, I think the, the most important first layer of that is anything that's online, you need to have a solid SEO strategy. If you're just sort of on a wish and a prayer, hoping that you'll get to a good place purely by happenstance, it's not going to happen. So making sure that whether it's your own website, whether it's Walmart, whether it's Amazon, that you're using the tools at your disposal to make sure that you understand the keywords that you need to use. I mean, the same even goes for social selling and making sure that you know what hashtags to use and everything like that. So that's a, a critical piece uh, that's really mm -hmm. laying the foundation. And so just because you know your keywords on Amazon, it doesn't mean that you're going to have the same keywords on Walmart or the same keywords mm -hmm. if you're trying to rank on Google. And so really making sure that you are 
doing fresh research for each one of those pieces. <laughs> and then the next step, once you have a, a clear idea of the keywords that you're going to be really targeting, thinking about... Just before the next step, actually, yeah. can you recommend maybe some tools for the keyword research? Because obviously... Um, right now, um, nowadays there's so many tools out there, right? So if you can share with so the audience tools. tools that you are using. Yeah. So, uh, for Amazon, we like helium 10 and we like data dive. Those are the two main tools that we work with. Uh, helium 10 also has a Walmart tool. And mm -hmm. then if you're wanting to do more of Google types of things, I've been playing around most recently with, uh, oh Surfer SEO, and that's more mm -hmm. on the content marketing side of things, but it's an AI SEO tool that is really awesome and helps you create far more robust blog posts. Uh, it, you can also use it to optimize your keyword strategy for any other page. Like our, mm -hmm. our website is actually an S, uh, a Shopify hosted website. And so whatever page we're looking to optimize, we can also do that. Uh, with this tool. So I'm a big fan of, of that. We've just started playing around with it over the last few months. Um, but yeah, those, those are, those are our go, go those to are the tools, tools yes. for so, the moment. So that was the step number one, right? So the keyword research, what's next? Next is research. And this, I would actually say might need to happen before you even do your keyword research, mm -hmm. because in order to do effective keyword research, you have to understand who the competitors that you're going after are and how you're going to fit into that. So let's maybe sort of have this be a, a pre and post step because I think you need to do some of that initial uh, research. Then you do your keyword research and then you can do some more robust research about really thinking strategically about how to position your brand within that particular platform. Because something like Amazon or something like Walmart, what's unique to those is all of your competitors are right there. So it's very easy for customers if you are not instantly connecting with them and telling them that this is a good match for their needs and reassuring them that this is something that they're going to be excited to purchase, they can just go click somewhere else. For Alternatively, on your own website, it's a little bit more of a captive audience once you've gotten them there. And so that conversation is going to look a little bit different. Also on your own website, you have much more creative freedom about how you're going to format and present everything. Yeah, there, there are no well, restrictions from Amazon. Right. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Amazon, there's just different pieces that you have to have and you only have so much uh, wiggle room with how you use those pieces. So you're a little bit more kind of um, limited with how you how you can take advantage of those different pieces uh, compared to being able to mm -hmm. have that space um, on something more freeform. So understanding the the platform both in terms of the competitor strategy, but also in terms of the formatting, any rules that you need to follow. You know, make sure that you understand all of the rules. Mm -hmm. Things like FDA, uh, restricted language and whatnot, that's not just specific to Amazon. You need mm -hmm. to also make sure that you are using FDA compliant language on your own website or anywhere else that you're selling. So making sure that you understand both the rules specific to the flat platform, but also 
that might apply to whatever category it is that you are selling under. So if you would be FDA restricted for um, anything consumable as well as anything topical, so skincare, mm -hmm. supplements, food, things like that. So being very mindful of all of those things is incredibly is there, important. Is there in a list of the keywords that you shouldn't use, like, I don't know, like somewhere in the public or you kind of created or coming from your experience? Yes and yes and no. <laughs> so Amazon <laughs> sort of has a partial list spread around a number of different pages. If you're looking at Seller Central uh, and you dig in, I, I can't remember the exact places where any of them live, but you can find some of those words there, but then we're constantly adding new words to the list of things that you wouldn't think would be problematic or maybe only problematic in certain settings. So it's not always uh, this word you is always forbidden, but this word in this set of circumstances isn't something that you can use. When it comes to FDA compliant language, that's not just speaking to a specific word, but how you're actually phrasing things. So one of the most important rules is that you, you can't make claims, health claims, that you don't have the clinical research to back up. Mm -hmm. So even something like saying this uh, face cream removes wrinkles, that you can't say that if you yeah. haven't if you don't have the research that shows that it removes wrinkles. So then you have to say, this, uh, this skin cream has, um, has ingredients that are known to reduce the appearance of wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. Very interesting, actually. Yeah. 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 And so then, I mean, obviously that's far less compelling. So then you need to find creative ways of being able to suggest certain ideas that don't come come across as too mm -hmm. clunky or... I didn't know they had that restricted, right? I mean, obviously I was thinking that, yeah, you cannot put the listing and write, yeah, this cures cancer, right? But right. then even about those kind of details, that's very interesting. That There are yeah. ways also that you can describe it. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that just like Amazon, uh, the FDA is, it it's responsive to when they find somebody breaking those rules. So mm -hmm. you might see people that are saying things that they're not supposed to say and getting away with it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's okay, that it's compliant, or that you won't mm -hmm. get in trouble for it. It's just that they maybe haven't been uh, privy to the fact that this brand is using this kind of language yet. So actually, so, sorry to interrupt here. Do you think, or maybe th there is, right? It's just a question. Is there a software that actually can analyze your listing when it comes to the copy and tell you that, hey, those words, they shouldn't be used here? Uh, when it comes to FDA compliant language, I do believe that I saw someone in my network on LinkedIn who just released some AI mm -hmm. software that I think is able to do that, but I don't know the details and I haven't tested it and I, I can't even uh, recall the name off the mm -hmm. top of my head. But I, I think those are the types of things that with AI, it will become much easier yeah. to avoid those types of mistakes. So I think that's a really uh, great thing that even if it doesn't exist, you could probably just, program... just speaking from my perspective as the one who built tools for sellers, it's just extremely easy software to build, especially yeah. nowadays with, with the 
because previously you would need to know some NLP and some old AI techniques and analyzing the text with the database of key, the keywords. But right now, since you have the AI agents like ChatGPT, you just feed it with the knowledge of all of the keywords around that. And then you just ask the question. And just from my understanding, it would be super relatively easy software to do and launch Absolutely. very quickly. So I was just curious if there's no one, maybe we'll uh -oh, one. I, I think we'll have uh, your <laughs> wheel spinning for a new tool. <laughs> Coming in September, 2023. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. No, that, that's really great. Um, I actually have one more question here for some of your case studies, like success stories. If you could just give us an example of one of your clients that you, I don't know, came to you and you managed to rewrite the copy or write it from scratch and actually bring uh, a lot of sales. Yeah, so we actually just finished a case study with Helium 10, and we worked on a listing that they had actually originally launched through a, a previous case study, Project X, and it just really wasn't performing very well. And I think what happens in any um, Amazon education space is they is, you know, people use an example of this would be a great product to launch, which is why we're choosing it, but we wouldn't recommend you choose this also. And then still a <laughs> hundred people <laughs> choose that exact product because they're like, well, no one else is going to launch this too. So why not capitalize on it? So there had been uh, quite a few additional, much cheaper competitors that had come into the scene. It really wasn't selling well at all. So we revamped that whole listing with everything from a new keyword mm -hmm. strategy to title. We added A plus content and we uh, boosted it 250% uh, in increase in conversion awesome. rates. So in what kind of period of time are we talking about? We're talking about over a month. Wow, from, that's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, really so great. It, it really, and what was interesting about this case study in particular is uh, one of the Do you have it other, on your website maybe? So I could uh, link it maybe. It's on the Serious Sellers podcast. Uh, okay. I, I can't recall the episode number. I can send you the details. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still working on some of the kind of creative assets that go with that. But sure. one of the other cool elements of that is one of the team members at Helium 10 who's not a trained designer just took the photos herself. Her dad was the model and some of the images. And it was a very um, basic design job. Nothing that would be mind-blowing in terms of, you know, how beautiful it looks. Uh, and even then, we managed to achieve that kind of increase in conversion rates. And so what I awesome. find exciting about that is... Obviously, the better imagery you can have, the better design you can have, the better you're, you'll perform. But even if you're just figuring things out or you don't have the time to wait for design or the budget to, to put towards that immediately, you can still really uh, see some considerable increase in performance by doing a lot of these different things in, mm -hmm. in a really thoughtful way. Got it. Very interesting. I, I kind of felt that I, I went for like consultation hour with you during this podcast. So I think a lot of uh, listeners of US on YouTube will, will find a lot of value from this episode. So th thanks a lot for sharing all of the insights uh, with us. And yeah, Emma, um, where people can find you and how people can start working with uh, your company. Absolutely. So our website, marketingbyemma.com is a great place that has links to all the things and 
emails and phone numbers and WhatsApp and whatnot. We also offer a free listing analysis. So if you would like for us to just take a look at your listing or a Shopify product page or a, a Walmart product page and give you some feedback about things that we see that you can do better. And if you just want to take that feedback and use it yourself, or you want our help uh, doing that and more, we're happy to do that. I also just launched a YouTube channel. So if you're just looking for more education around all of this, uh, that's marketing by Emma. So I think those are the main, main places awesome. to find us. I'll, I'll include yeah. them. I'll include them in a description. So awesome. great, Emma, thanks a lot for uh, sharing everything again and for being a guest here at the podcast. And yeah. Thank you so Thank much, you. Jacob. I love talking about branding with you today. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.